0: And so it's about understanding what are the things that are critically important for that business owner to feel secure about the process. Let's make sure we over-deliver on there and in areas where they're not, but really anchor on those pivotal moments when they're gonna look at that draft payment and they wanna just eyeball. And over time, they build that trust that the system keeps on getting it right and they can actually skip through the steps even quicker. Welcome
1: to the SMB Tech Innovators podcast
0: powered by Gusto.
1: On this show, we explore the intersection of FinTech vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com. Here's your host, Brian Bush. On this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, my guest is Etan Bensusa, CEO and co-founder of NorthOne. An online business banking account designed to connect the financial back office of small businesses across America. Hey Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm excited to get into this one, but let's start with your background for the sake of the audience. Tell us a little bit
0: about your journey and how it led you to founding North One. It's a it's a great journey. Prior to North One, I spent about five and a bit years at McKinsey. And one of the things that I kept on doing, I probably did about half a dozen to a dozen projects specifically focused on reducing the cost of running a finance department in Fortune 5000 companies all over the place. And so you'd have this kind of mandate saying it's costing us 60, 70 million dollars a year to run finance. How do we bring this to 20 million dollars a year without sacrificing output or quality? challenge accepted. And after doing a number of them, I actually found that about 80% of the value that we could unlock was actually secured by connecting various information, you know, data centers, processes, or people who were spread out across the finance ecosystem of those companies, but they were just, you know, not talking to each other or they were, but you need a small army of people to translate all the information for one another. And so I did this enough time and I saw this pattern emerging. And then I noticed that these are massive companies, well into the dozens of billions of dollars of revenue. But then I started seeing a trend in the mid market where I saw the rise of companies like Airbase, Divi, Ram, Brex, mm. who were doing something similar, spiritually similar, I guess, trying to connect back office processes of mid market companies and make it in you know, a productized experience. And that kind of really connected. I started seeing the same idea moving its way down the size. And finally, To meet the real focus within small businesses have the same problem too, and they have even less resources to deploy against this. And, you know, I grew up in a family of small business owners. I saw firsthand many years of my childhood, how little room for error there is in a small business to connect any sort of data, let alone make sure it's error free, et cetera. And so that for my site's turn, I just felt like there was this emerging opportunity to solve this problem in the world of small business. And I think just the context there was that everything in the small business is disconnected, right? You have a bank account, typically doesn't have any sort of information exchange with a credit card or your payable management tools or your expense management tools. The whole thing is a bunch of different products you use. Most enterprise solutions that offer the full 360, they're not selling to people that five, 10 employee level companies and most of the bottom of tools on the market are not thinking about connecting to each other. And so to me, the idea behind North One was what if we could connect them all? What if we could actually remove the cost and the pain, often a critical cost, of having all this disconnected information by providing our own product experience for small businesses and that coming through the bank account being the hub of that whole connected financial back office.
1: I hope there's a small side benefit that some listener, some CFO out there gets to say, see, we don't need to hire McKinsey. Like, we need to connect all our systems and data on the back office to make the finance function work a little bit better. Uh, yeah, we got that point. <laughs> but joking aside, so let's dive a little bit deeper into who North One actually is and specifically where you think your offering is different and not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like more connected than other options out there today for small businesses.
0: Yeah, listen, North One comes in the form of a connected bank account, right? Like the real offering from a very practical point of view is that we are in the packaging of a neobank and the bank account is this connected tool that allows us to deliver the value proposition. So let me just maybe back up a sec. Who are we serving is the first piece. I hinted to it. The customer that North One really focuses on is that someone who's either everything from a full-time self-employed up to about 20 employee level company across a number of different industries and markets. And there's a reason for that. This is typically the growth stage in a company where the pain itself is felt by the owner. Typically, the owner has the wallet. So they decide they can pay for things and they're the decision maker, a very unified sales motion. Many of our customers are the kind of businesses you'd find across Main Street. They're not startups. They're not venture backed. Some are, but, but the majority of them are really the kind of businesses you walk by on the way to work. And so those are not businesses that are looking for like an L shaped growth curve. So many of us in the startup space are. They're typically creating bootstrap profitable businesses, and they're getting anywhere between 3 to 20% growth a year, 25%. That's where they they end up going. And so there's a a very different experience, different outcomes that they're looking for. And so North One, in many ways, is talking to that owner. And so in terms of a differentiation point of view, every business has a bank account almost immediately. It's one of the first things that you'll do. So there's some time where we are maybe the first bank account a business has. But if you're talking about a business with 5, 10, 15 employees, that they almost certainly have had a bank account already behind the scenes. And so typically that bank account has played a very limited role in their life. It's a point solution. You get an invoice that you've got to pay and then you go through a bunch of steps: recognizing the invoice, entering it into your accounting software, if you have any. Eventually a calendar reminder, if you're lucky enough, tells you, go pay that invoice. today. You log in the bank account, send the money, and that's it. And you have patched together these maybe eight, nine, 10 steps to go from invoice received to invoice paid, and then the vendor will acknowledge it. The very purpose of North One is to say, look, we're taking this bank account. It's not a point solution. We're actually here to manage the whole process for you, to connect that whole piece of work together. So as an example, of course, North One has an FDIC insured account behind the scenes. You can move money by ACH, wire, checks, cards, cash, you name it, everything you need from a transactional banking point of view, all the essentials. But then when you think of that account as that connected hub, that invoice comes in. So we have something called the North One Bill Payment Hub, where you can forward an unpaid invoice to your custom email at North One or upload it yourself. We scan it, turn it into a draft payment, schedule that payment for the last possible second, and we just wait for your approval. So we've taken Hmm. what was eight or nine steps and maybe turned it into two. And that's where that connected piece, why that's very important. The business owner, in our view, is not solving for the bank account. They're solving for a way to get that broader thing done. And the bank account is a necessary piece for it. And so if we can offer the same thing, a bank account with all the proper regulatory protection and the money moon facilities, but actually one whose mandate is actually to remove a whole bunch of that cost and that busy work, either you're paying bookkeepers or account to do, and so you're doing it yourself. If you're not getting away from it, but we can actually remove that from you. That's a net benefit that's at the very least worth them trying us out. And then what we find is that as customers start experiencing what this connected banking can do for them, they lean into the account. They start moving more and more of that business just makes it so much easier for them to get things done. I think that's one of the easiest ways to understand how that differentiation expresses itself.
1: So I actually want to double click just quickly into the payments hub, a theme we hear frequently, whether it's on the Gusto side with payroll, but more on the show, talking to many folks building better software tools for small and medium businesses is this idea of, exactly as you said, the tedious steps in the task, in this case, uploading the invoice, cataloging it perhaps, but teeing up the payment goes hand in hand with the, as you said, I'm the owner of this business. I want to verify that this is the right payment. I want to confirm that I got what I wanted from the vendor. And I'm curious how you thought about designing that automation piece. How much weight did you put on that verification piece and the user interaction versus how much weight are you putting on sort of the smart automation, if you will.
0: I think there's just one North Star, right? The North Star that you're dealing with the user. So the customer being the user is not necessarily a differentiation between the two in many of these businesses. Dealing with a user who has no time, but lots of paranoia. That's just the behavior of most business owners. You don't have a lot of time, but you're always scared that you're about to drop the ball on something, miss some critical details. So the whole experience is built upon for those areas where you don't need that level of security in terms of your mental ease, make it quick. And then those pairs where you were to drop in because you need to feel secure about the details are right or the date is right or the invoice matches the details. Then we give them the ability to dive into that feeling of security that it's all the details are have been appropriately hashed out. And so it's about understanding what are the things that are critically important for that business owner to feel secure about the process let's make sure we over deliver on there. And in areas where they're not, they don't care as much, like, no, just get this done, move them through it. They can always trace the stuff, but really anchor on those pivotal moments when they're going to look at that draft payment and they want to just eyeball, is this invoice matching the details? We allow them to be side by side. And then you just, you move on and you press send. And over time, they build that trust that the system keeps on getting it right. And they can actually skip through the steps even quicker. just want to reiterate that comment of
1: In your case, the customer is the user. We're not talking about the bigger businesses. Like You're able to really tightly connect those dots. Maybe this dovetails, when you all launched, you had something over
0: 100,000 customers on your wait list. Yeah, How did you do that? So this is one of the older problems in fintech, right? So we launched in 2019. And at that time, to get out the door in fintech was not three to six months. There were maybe three to four best partners at all in America, maybe five, I don't know. But so you really had to think about, they were all making the kind of the first or second ever fintech integrations that they'd had for a lot of them. I mean, maybe some of them were more experienced. And so we argued like probably a year between when we had a partner in mind and we were closing in on a contract to when we could in earnest get out the door. Because remember, you figure out the commercials, and then they unlock the technology side for you to be able to start building and testing and getting things to production quality. Mm. And we said, what are we going to do? Sit here, like, sitting ducks, just waiting, building and waiting for someone to find out about us the day we launch?" It sounds like a very silly recipe, like one that would not take any of the learnings of the past 20 years of startup land <laughs> to, to help you. So we said, how do we get people to know us? And so we ended up, and to this day, we still do it, by the way. But we ended up creating a whole bunch of free products for businesses mm. that somehow dropped into their life at a critical point in their life cycle. So the original one, we used to actually have this thing called Business Loan Sherpa, which was a way to take all the information, looked at a bunch of banks and said, what are the required documents they need for a loan? And so we said, look, if you want to apply for a loan at this bank, here's the list of things that they say you need. So get those prepared. We didn't do anything else. It was just a little bit of a helper. We did a bank account price calculator where we figure out the pricing schedules of different banks in different states and say, look, based on your transaction volume, enter a few pieces of information here. We'll spit out what you're probably paying in fees. And we did a lot of these things over and over again. We had an invoicing tool, we had an incorporation service that we tried out. We just kept on throwing things at the wall. And what it did is it allowed us to socialize ourselves to many businesses and said, look, if you like this, just wait until you see what's coming out because we're actually really building a Banking experience that follows the one that you've just seen. And so this allowed us to build meaningful size following. And I remember at the time, there weren't dozens of small business neobank offerings, right? You could probably count most of them in less than one hand. And so mm-hmm. you had this combination of this interesting go to market, which was not about putting ads in front of people and saying buy, 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 but really bringing them through value. And at the same time, you had a, a moment of novelty where people are like, I've never heard of this before. What is this idea that you could have? bank account, but without branches and about without one of the big brands that I know. The world has changed since then, but that really was how we were able to build that kind of a waitlist momentum.
1: And so what I'm hearing you say is the novelty products were helping attract, obviously provide something useful, but helping drive some awareness. And on the flip side, you were also doing some of the customer discovery. And I think you chatted, I mentioned elsewhere, you chatted with hundreds of small business owners en route to building some of those tools. I imagine those things dovetailed a little bit. I imagine if folks came into the loan Sherpa or the pricing comparison tool,
0: that was then your entree to talk to them a little bit more deeply about their banking needs. Yeah, totally. And it was the beginning of what we hoped was a relationship, right? And we didn't have the money for a customer support rep, right? So our customer success or any of that, I would get the emails every morning, like five o'clock, I'd get like dozens of emails of people saying, I like this, I don't like this. And I'd say, okay, And every time I had this kind of paragraph, I'd put it at the end, hey, I would love your feedback, keep it going. And by the way, we're gonna be launching this kind of new banking experience for your business. We'd love for you to try that and give us feedback as well. And it, honestly, look, you didn't please everybody. You got some people who are like, I don't like this tool. But a lot of people were very fortunate. We gave it for free. It wasn't about making money then. It was about playing the long game. The way we thought about it was give value until you one day earn the right to ask. And so that was what we were hoping we could do. And some of those tools just caught on much faster than others. Some of them got 75 people that ever use it and some of them got hundreds of thousands of folks that were using them. And so it just gave us a lot of really interesting ways to meet businesses where they were. So I think there's an
1: interesting parallel. Obviously on the show, we talk a lot about embedded FinTech. To your point, it's gotten easier. There are more banking as a service providers out there. It's gotten easier to build some of these embedded finance products. But there's still a good lesson there of like, hey, what can you launch or what can you test in market with real customers early to get feedback rather than waiting for this full-on deployment? But I want to pivot just a little bit, Eitan. Let's talk about the macro environment. So we talked a little bit about what it was like about five years ago while you were developing and building the initial version of North One. What's different? And I'll share some of the trends I see. You've got folks who I don't know if you would call them in your cohort, but somebody like a Brex, who has shifted a little bit from their sort of small business focus now to growth and more enterprise sort of folks. We also hear some folks on the regulatory side, some of the partner banks who are early to be the bank that was backing some of these fintechs are getting more scrutiny from regulators. So I'm curious, what to you are the most salient or the most impactful macro trends and how are you and North One adapting?
0: Everything you said and, right? So you've seen all these things. You've seen, look, five years ago, let's say, people were figuring things out, right? You had a lot of companies that would look at the market as a fuzzy middle. And so someone started at the startup level and they said, what if we tried going to small business? Some folks started at the small business and they said, What if we try serving startups? Everyone was getting a feel. And I think over time, what happened is that people found their groove, And so that kind of led to some scale. And I think you had COVID, which kind of flipped things on its head. And so I think what COVID created was not only a lot of disturbance, think opportunities, closing or opening in very short order, but it also forced a level of refocus. A lot of people who thought they might have three target markets very quickly in COVID said just get one and just go for it. That happened. But I think the thing now is that you see the game tape has gone on in fintech, right? So what originally five years ago, nobody knew what partner banks really were or how to monitor them or what the risks could be. People had like intellectual ideas, but the rubber started hitting the road. And so as you saw big successes and big failures, fintechs got smarter, regulators got smarter and partners got smarter. It's a path dependent way, right? So the market reacts to the past to inform the future. And so today we are living on the other side of some of that story where we now know what makes you a less secure partner bank. You now know what it takes to launch a fintech, a neobank, and what it doesn't. So there's a lot of that wisdom that has accumulated. These are learnings that any industry, as it goes through its learning curve, kind of compounds. But the big elephant in the room is just the macro economy, right? Mm -hmm. The economic environment, specifically take the macro and then double-click into venture. And now you have this, the most night and day of all situations, right? Worrying signals in the economy, but then if you look in startup in the venture community, it's not worrying signals. It's like a hellscape. It's just a completely different environment. And that to me is the starkest change of all between years ago, where there was a lot, there was, I mean, low cost of capital, a lot of optimism about where FinTech could go. And there still is that optimism, but it was almost like we're all figuring it out at the same time. To now, there's been this change where assume capital is no longer available the way it used to be and assume that the threshold for new capital is going to be that much higher in a way that you wouldn't feel it five years ago. And so, Each one of those has changed the way that companies need to navigate the market. In our case, it created an impetus to focus in in a really interesting way. And other folks, they may have pulled out of certain segments versus others. Everybody reacted to it differently. But the one thing you couldn't change was that this change was there. And that was now the fact base. And you have to figure out how to react to it. So I hear you saying very clearly the overriding trend, the cost of capital,
1: the cost to fund your growth, in a sense. I'm curious, you mentioned, hey, some folks going into the pandemic, we might have several customer segments, and it became very clear through the pandemic that was only one. I'm curious in your case, I'm not saying you picked just one, but I'm curious if that was an insight that came largely through looking at the usage data, if it came looking at, hey, here's where we're most profitable, or here's the customers that seem to like our offering the best, or if it more came from something external. I'm curious how you used the crisis to dial into a really secure customer segment.
0: The one benefit that we had now versus COVID or a little before was that we had data. COVID hit us. We were, I think, maybe six months out the gate in terms of being a live product. You barely knew how customers evolve over time and what their behaviors are. So we just didn't have much to go on. Now we actually have longitudinal data. We understand that we can track customer profitability, how much people use up support versus not, how much they use certain product. That's a level of wisdom you only gain by being in market, which we're very fortunate that we were able to build on that. And so what we were able to do was, Just take our whole customer base and look and say, look, where are we seeing the most love? Like, where are we just seeing a combination of deep usage and high profitability for us? And when those two intersect, you have this magic moment. And I think the the difference is that years ago, especially when you're a younger company, you're like, I can see potential in all of these. You have to play it out a little bit to see where it could go. If you're not totally focused already and as a new concept of business neobank in America, we had hypotheses, especially from Europe as to what might work in the American market. But we still didn't know who would truly respond to this offering. We had our ICP, but that was at best a guess until we launched. And so now we're able to look and say we know exactly who that is. Now we have the benefit of using that as our anchor. If you have less capital, you have less at-bats, let's just call it. Right? Put your force hitter at the plate and every at bat, you can't have pinch hitters come in. Mm-hmm. So you want to say, how do we make the most of every swing we take? And so we say, let's start with, at the very least, those people who meet that intersection of incredible engagement and profit and back ourselves, start figuring out like, what does that mean in terms of where the product goes, the go to market, the service model, because that's a magical thing. And then the next question after that is how do you then bring the cousin cohorts of these customers? How do you bring them closer to that magical place? A lot of the theory on how do you find product market fit? will find who you have and then figuring out what's blocking others from joining that product market fit area. And if some people just could care less what you do no matter what, then okay, you won't pay attention to them. That's not going to drive your business over time. So I think the biggest way that we've reacted to all these changes... Well, I love that
1: insight of, hey, look for that overlap between profitability and usage. As you have done that, and you've really focused in on some very profitable customer segments, talk us through maybe briefly your go-to-market strategy. And really what I'm curious about is, does that change? If you think about growing within that group, if you think about layering on additional products, is there a point where you say, hey, these customers are profitable enough, we could do something different on the go-to-market side? And the tease here is a lot of your competitors, small business banks, they have branches. They have folks who are local that can go and actually walk into some of these businesses and talk to them. So I'm curious how you see that element of competition evolving in the future
0: for North One. It's been in both directions. So the smaller banks that we've seen, or not smaller, but just even more the classical banks, they've tried to create more digital offerings. So in many ways, a lot of the banks that used to really lean on the fact that they had branches and they knew you, we've seen over time, they're like, it's all digital now. It's all mobile. They saw the value proposition of these neobanks and they reacted to it. So it's actually reduced the bridge in many ways in some of these offerings. But I think there's an important qualification, which is if you need a branch to run your business, we're probably not going to be trying to talk to you and recognize that there are so many different needs sets in the market. I like having a teller that I know. Great. We're not going to get involved. We won't spend a penny on trying to acquire this person because it's an impossible bridge to gap. Similarly, companies too big, if they have a finance team of 75 people, we're probably also not going to try to go for them because we're not designed for that. And so just being so crystal clear on exactly who matters to you. And then we put ourselves in their shoes and say, how do they see the world? And so in many ways, they look at their bank accounts as, look, it's a relationship I need to have. I use utilities for electricity and water. I know I'm always going to need those. But the level of what they expected out of both partners was quite low. This arbitrage that we were able to pick up on, if you love your bank because you have a great relationship manager and they, you're probably not going to move and that's okay. But we were looking for the folks who said, I'm a great business, but I don't see anything beyond a brand or a branch with my bank account. They've not done anything for me in the right way. We're using that little bit of a attention arbitrage. To say, what if there was more? What if there was something that you never expected could come from a bank account, like a bill payment hub? et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden it just changes their thinking around what could a bank account offer me? And they look around and they see the 15 local banks don't have that. So at the very least, I will try this new thing. And then it's our job to show them that it's, you've now gotten in the from too. You were in this world where all banks seem to look similar. Mm -hmm. And now we're bringing you on this bridge where there can be such a different experience. You're now in this connected banking environment and that changes the way your business operates so dramatically that there's no going back. And that's one of the things that we see with our customers that once they realize, what is this connected thing you're telling me about? We say, well, it's this functionality. It's this thing that used to run your back office now being run right through your banking platform. It starts, they start realizing I'm saving, and we have customers who tell us we're saving hundreds of dollars on bookkeeping a month because they don't need someone to manually go and do the, every single piece of the flow. Similarly, they're melting away hours from their week. And so our ability to very quickly show them that, make it almost like so obvious that you're saying, look, I may never close my old bank account because most businesses will keep more than one open, but I will over time bring more and more of my business to North One because of all this extra value around the account itself. A bank account is a commoditized product. It's the most commoditized of things. It's a specific tool. It's everything around it, where you get the brand and the experience. And every bank out there tries their hand at creating the way that works out. And we've done it through software-like functionality for these businesses. And that's, I think, unique to the fintech movement more broadly. That was an
1: amazing comment, that idea of using your customers' attention arbitrage. Hopefully becomes tech parlance going forward here. It's, I want to close by taking a small step back and asking you about tech trends and really what on the technology side, the core technology side is most impactful, you think, for banking today and for small businesses It may be AI, but it may be other things. But as you look forward, what are the new technologies that you would advise somebody else building technology for small, medium businesses that, hey, you really have to think about because this is going to change things
0: in three, five years, whatever is the time frame. I'm going to take the whole AI thing and put it in a bucket and park it here because I think that's his whole own five-hour discussion. But I think... It's not just about the new technology. There's all sorts of crazy cool experiments that are out there that you could leverage. I tell this regularly when folks, we we talk to people starting companies. It doesn't matter what tool you're using, what technical framework it is. The fundamentals don't change. Talk to customers. Just start by talking to them. Go to where they work. Think of yourself as an anthropologist. We have this thing where we talk to our top 1,000 customers regularly. Tons of people at the company are calling them. The goal that you should know them better than they know themselves. I think you can then productize that. There's incredible analytics software, interview software, all sorts of ways to take the benefits of technology to know that. But unless that is like the kernel, you're a product looking for an audience. I'm sure there's many different schools of thought, but if you take the audience and you build the product that kind of matches what their needs are, and that's really where we've gone with it. And so I think so many tools are out there that allow us to amplify that impact by studying them in ways that are deeply statistical deeply technical, but it doesn't change the fact that we're still going back to this very first principle, which is just talk to the person whose money you hope to have or whose time you're hoping to earn, and then let everything flow
1: from there. I love that. One takeaway, use the new technologies to advance and focus on the basics. Eitan, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, could you tell listeners, hey, if they want to connect, if they have questions or want to go deeper, where they could find you, email,
0: social media, anything like that for questions? I'm on Twitter. A ten It's my Twitter handle. See, it's pretty easy. LinkedIn, same thing, first name, last name, or you can email me, A ten at north one.com. Fantastic.
1: Thank you for taking out a little bit of time to share your experience and insights with the audience. We appreciate it, A10. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. We'll make sure to link to any resources that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes. Please also feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast or to connect with the Gusto Embedded team via LinkedIn. In particular, we'd love to hear any future guests you'd like us to have on the show. Thanks again for listening and keep a lookout for the next episode.